Hey, this is horror artist Lynn Hansen, and I'm really excited to be guest of honor at Horror on Main. You're going to come too, right? We can all hang. See you there. Horror on Main, a new weekend convention for the horror community. There are plenty of horror cons to choose from. We explore all the shadows within horror entertainment, including writers and actors, but also artists, publishers, directors, and composers, and we're bringing them to you. Join us Memorial Day weekend 2023 in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Come to the block party and meet your new neighbors. See horroronmain.com for details. So I have some pretty exciting news to share. Megan the Horror Babe is partnering up with Horror Max. And I want you guys to join me on my adventure as I watch really campy, cheesy slasher horror movies. I'll be watching tons of scary movies and reviewing them. And you guys can follow along. So if you use the code HORRORBABE, you'll get a free month on me. I promise I won't let you down. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers, writers, and creators. I'm David Demchuk, the author of the experimental queer horror novel Red X. Many readers think queer horror is just for queer people. I'm here to tell you it's not. We have the same dreams. We have the same fears. Red X tells the story of gay men who are being taken from their friends and family by an ageless supernatural being. But it's also my story, and the story of friends that I have lost over the decades. Join me in Red X as we explore my darkest fears together. Red X is published by Strangelight, an imprint of Penguin Random House, and is available at fine bookstores everywhere. I'm not sure if you heard that. I meant to tell you happy belated birthday. Thank you. Ronnie, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> I have a picture. I didn't I found the picture of me and you running from uh, uh Merrimack. Yeah. yeah. Oh that's cool. That was crazy. That was like not it was nonstop. Like I didn't have an opportunity to talk to anybody. I just kept Man, I, like I'm in I'm in a I'm in a school with five hundred kids all day every day and that was still too busy for me. I'm still like socially recovering from that. Really? <laughs> I really wanted to go. It was like the same weekend as multiverse. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, and I'm on the, you know, I'm the one of the programming track directors there. So I was like, I can't bail on multiverse, but one day I'm gonna get to Merrimack. It just seems like a good time, even if I have to sort of, you know, like go as just a reader. I think that might be better because that that going going nonstop, that crowd stuff is kind of a lot sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's a short day, but you did Halloween. How was Halloween Hangover? 
Oh my gosh, it was wonderful. It was like a perfect balance between, um, like, first of all, it was in a bookstore. I was mm. like, how perfect is that? The people, they come, they come for books. Who'd have thunk it, right? Um, <laughs> and so a lot of the people were were regular, like, customers who were excited to see that spotlight. And there were just enough panels. There were just enough authors that it really often felt like a party. So I didn't feel rushed. I didn't feel, you know, like it was just too much. I think it was just right. It was no, just right. It looked fun. It looked like a good time. Yeah. Oh, it I was such a great time. Like, what is, what is going on in Cena's house? <laughs> fine. Everything Clearly is haunted. fine. How to sell a haunted house. Great yes, idea. have visitors. <laughs> Just uh, this is what, but I'm happy it was. It went. It went well, Rhonda. Yeah, it, it went well. I think though. I think the main thing was that it was organized with such care. Um, Tiffany and James are the managers of that Barnes and Noble. I mean, they they really reached out and they really put that together. Um, and so they were saying that they're actually talking with their corporate office on sort of kind of of a sort of a template for those kind of events for other stores. And I was hmm. like, I love it. Like I would love to see that. Um, like in all the genres, you know, of course, specifically horror, but in all the genres, that would be wonderful. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. that would be good. You guys want to get started? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you mean this doesn't count? No, I mean like I put some of it up, but I've <laughs> been hanging out here. I'm like banging on my wall. My lights falling down. People are like, falling apart. Yeah, the ceiling collapses. We know we're done. Yeah, it's over. Alrighty, welcome to Dead Headspace. I'm your host Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host Brennan LaFargo. Did I get that right? Wrong. That is not right. <laughs> Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And we are joined by a returning co-host, RJ Joseph. Say hello, Rhonda. Hey. And we are talking long overdue, long, long, long overdue. We are talking to someone that all three of us love dearly, Cena, Cynthia Palau. We'll call her Cena if that's okay. Throughout the interview. Say hello, Cena. Hi. Hi, friends. <laughs> um, as you can see, I have my Cena collection. It's not big enough yet. That's Cena, like, yes. And, and, and that one, the Campfire Macabre, Campfire was a. That was good. You you forwarded that. Yeah, that too, right? I think Ron is in that. Yeah, yeah, that first one. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't sub to the second one, but I'm in the first one. Yeah, a lot of and fun. It was really cool. That was my first pro sale, and Cena forwarded it, and it was a lot of awesome people in it. Um, I just had to point that out. Why someone would be like, "Why is that there?" That's not Cena. It is. <laughs> um, it totally is. <laughs> so, Cena, what got you into horror? <laughs> Left turn. <That's> <laughs> <You're involved. laughs> Tell me about your childhood. What, <laughs> what fucked you up? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> that's what Stephen King says. When people ask him that, that's what he, they really mean. That's not what I really mean, though. I just want to know what you know. It was a nightmare on Elm Street. Um, my brother, this was like 1980. I'm going to date myself because whatever. This was like in 1986, I think. And my brother, maybe 80, well, because what night a nightmare on come on 84 and so my brother rented it on the, at the video store and so it must have been like 85 or 86 i feel like it was 85 because i think it was five years old and my parents left somewhere my oldest brother put it in the 
the big floor television with the VCR and he popped it in and I walked in and I saw that on the screen of the big wooden television set, <laughs> the image uh, when Freddy Krueger, when his arms were extended in the alley, that was the very first image I ever saw. Oh. And I remember screaming and running into the kitchen and then my brother was like, it's fine, you should watch it. It's okay, it's not real, it's not real. And then I was like, okay. And then I went and I watched it with him, the rest of it with him. And then from there I would watch, um, and I started watching like Alfred Hitchcock Presents and The Twilight Zone with my dad, um, because he would watch those late at night and then they would show like Psycho um, late at night, like on the old, you know, would watch it like an old, you know, um, the, the television stations, the, the television stations. This is back in the, we didn't have like cable back in like 85 or 86, right? And so just with my dad and my brother, they were the ones that got me into horror. And because of them, I mean, um, my mother thought it was very deviant. It was like deviant. It was something that unwell. And she went and talked to the priest about it like talk to the priest and then the priest had to come to the house to talk to me about the scary things that I was watching and how it was a gateway and it wasn't good. Um, so there was that shame factor from my mom that I got, but my dad and my brother were like, leave her alone. She really likes this. And so then my dad eventually bought me, um, I had my own little black and white television. And it was like, it was like, well, he got cheap in the second hand. So I had my own little black and white television, um, set in my room and I would watch horror there and then eventually he bought me like a VCR at the second hand and I had when I, we would go to the video store my dad's like you could rent whatever you want and so it was my dad so and uh he's been you know he's still around thank goodness and uh I you know showed him uh the announcement for my recent deal and that he the old man started crying because uh -huh. he remembers he's like she loved monsters she's always loved monsters and now she's make, making monsters and so it was uh really touching to see him to see it really dawn on my parents like oh she's really she she it never went away <laughs> she she's 42 there you go she, she, it just never went away and it just just never went away but, that's amazing one of you two please jump in I love the full circle aspect. That was, you know, that, that, like you said, it was very touching. I'm actually curious if you remember or would be willing to share a little bit more about that conversation with the priest. Um, <laughs> what, what was that like? That's, that sounds so awkward. Which, which conversation? The, the conversation with the priest about, uh, you know, exercising your demons <laughs> about, about liking horror. Well, it was, I mean, they would say things, I remember, I mean, we, we had like younger priests and they were kind of cool and they kind of got, you know, the stuff, but they were just like, well, you're, it was always your mom is worried. Your mom thinks this is too much at this age. Your mom doesn't want these images to like make you sick and make you upset. And that's how they approached it. Mm. And I think it's just, they were like, younger and they were just like oh my gosh she's she, the mom's probably upset um but it wasn't like the old <laughs> it wasn't like the older priests who were probably would have been like this is evil this is yeah. <laughs> that's 100 percent the image that got planted in my head is somebody flicking holy water at you yeah no it was, i remember it was 
the the younger cool ones that were like um that wound up eventually doing like my confirmation years later um and they were just like yeah your mom <laughs> your mom is just worried and um but it's fine like they, they they thought it was the ones that i talked to at least i remember they were like it's it was always your mom is worried this is too much the speech you know, it, it was especially in the 80s when there was like this horror renaissance. Um, and, and, you know, and looking at it now at what was going on with the satanic panic, uh, at least it was nice that at least I'm not in the church anymore. But uh, the people in the church that I spoke to at that age were pretty progressive. At least it was nice that that was that absolutely was to that, and not like it was like a scary thing. I mean, I left the church for like other reasons. Um I mean, I almost became a. I wanted to become a nun. I was really religious. I was really. Wow. I was like, uh, Catholicism was very important for me for a very long time, um, and I just loved that imagery, just the icons and the ritual, and I just felt like it was so beautiful and magical. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I eventually separated, and I'm. I'm just an. I'm agnostic now, which is I'm okay admitting that. Um, it took me a while to kind of be like quiet about it um, because my family would get really upset, um, but they're okay with it now. It's great. Um, I just feel like this is a neat time to just read Janine's comment. I know you read it already, Cena, but for those um, that haven't, she said, please just tell Cena, thank you for the endless support and that I love her. She's a role model and an icon, a pillar and an inspiration, a wonderful, beautiful, crazily talented human. Just pretend that I'm smiling as big as Janine normally would. Um, oh, but, you know, you people are going to make me cry. Like, it's, you know, it's, I, I, I admit I, I haven't been around in social media a lot the last couple. I, I've been suffering from exhaustion. Like, it's, like, legitimate at this point. Like, there's no, I kept thinking, like, well, maybe it's a cold. And maybe it's, like, an, another kid virus. And maybe it's, uh, and then a friend of mine was like, I think it's just exhaust. I think you legitimately have exhaustion. and Because it's just the markers of what you're experiencing. Um, and so it's it's it was heartwarming to see, like, Janine's, comment but then i felt so bad because i'm like i haven't been on social media i haven't been in active uh the last you know few weeks just because i i'm really i think i've done a number on myself just like for people that don't know i have two children that are to, that are on the spectrum and then i work full time i'm trying to finish a phd and then i write at night so it's just been it's all all my worlds have started colliding and it's been a lot of work and you know, as people with children on the spectrum know, it's, it's you know, they, they, they have re really, really great days and they have tough days. And so we had some recent, like, tough days. But um, it was nice to hear from Janine. I hope to be, to continue doing good things for good people in the, the horror community because it's it's the people in this community, 100%. Like, you know, like Rhonda has been, like, you know, a force for me. Um, and I'm so glad that she's here because, um, you know, Rhonda and I have gone through it, like through it with, with, and, and, you know, we've talked about what it's like to the whole submission and the rejection. And then, the, you know, Rhonda's thoughts on the female character being explored as a monster and a monstrosity. Like this is, 
like brilliant discussions that need to be had. Like, you, you know, she's an ac- academic and, you know, she takes it from this academic approach and she looks at it with, through the, you know, the lens also of a horror writer. And so, you know, her and I have had so many discussions about that. I mean, you know, I, you know, I've seen Brennan, you know, Brennan's on his, what's, you know, second, third published, you know, novel. And, <laughs> so, so who can keep track of these things? In a, in a collection. <laughs> it's wonderful that I've been able to see people achieve their goals. And I just feel like, look, I, 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 I don't want anything from anyone other than to just be like, I am here, I'm your cheerleader, because I know what it's like. I know I know what it's like to cry in your pillow because you got that other rejection and you're that you knew you were gonna hit it and you didn't hit it. I know what it's like. I know. I know I've been there and I you know, I I am um, I'm still kind of tr- recuperating from this like crazy speed I was at, but I, I really wanna make sure I'm still mentoring at some capacity because I've done a lot of that and I think it's important because I am here today because I had really good mentors. Yeah. Uh, real quick, I just want to throw out because we the whole that that whole like wonderful little diatribe started by talking about Janine and she had mentioned uh, she had announced earlier today that she is directing a movie or a short film. I'm not sure which. And I, I think anybody who it's knows her saw that coming. But oh, man, good for her so good for her um the other thing i wanted to throw out is you know uh so you know we were talking before we started recording about uh that uh you and i got to meet up at merrimack and i had to get you to sign my copy of children of chicago and i you know the whole day was a whirlwind and um i got home and i'm looking through the way too many books that i you know brought home with me and inside of children of chicago you wrote uh, I can't wait to continue seeing your star rise. And I can't, I, I remember t- texting Patrick and I can't even tell you how much that little inscription just meant to me. Uh, it just put this glowing smile on my face. Like here's a writer who is doing big things, whose work I have just the massive, this massive amount of respect for who, you know, sees me over here in my corner doing my thing and is proud of me. And Oh, Oh my gosh, that feeling. I'm proud of you. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen the, I've seen the tweets. I've seen the, <laughs> I've seen, but I've seen the good tweet tweets too. I've seen the, you know, here's, here's how it's doing on Amazon. I see that stuff. I see it. <laughs> the only reason I'm working on it. I don't want people to know I'm like online. Just creeping and sneaking. <laughs> I'm making some real progress. This is about you, by the way. I'm making some real progress on a novella that I wrote in 2016, haven't touched since, and I'm just red inking the shit out of it, and it's turned out really good, and I'm submitting it to that guy right there because he said I can, and I only thought of that because of your novella. I'm like, hey, Paul, are you doing any more? If I never saw that, if I never bought it, it, so, I mean, you you influence people in all these fun ways. Yeah. Yeah. I I was going to say that. And in authentic ways, like that's really important. Uh, From the moment that I met you, Sina, you have been authentic. 
authentic. And, you know, that's a really hard thing for people to do. Like, you know, you, you kind of get these syrupy sweet or you kind of get these, um, you know, pretend, yeah, I'm happy for you, but really, no, I'm not. But but you, <laughs> you came out the gate, like just authentically happy and supportive. I mean, and that just really means a ton. It really means a lot um, to me. And, and I mean, apparently to, you know, others in this community. So um, I appreciate that because I know it's not easy. It's not easy to to uphold other people. Right. But you do it so effortlessly and so authentically. <laughs> oh, I just. You know, I, 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 like I said before, I don't want I don't want anything other than people to feel good. That's it. Like, I really just, I feel like if we all feel good and we're all happy and we're all doing what we do that we enjoy, it's, it's a benefit for all of us, right? Like yeah. it's, it's really a benefit for all of us. And, you know, I remember, I remember, I remember, you know, coming up in the horror community in the earlier days and I was a little, it was a little hard. <laughs> it was a little tough there. Um, you know, but there were a lot of really nice people. A lot of like, you know, um, Peter Straub is an example where it was like, he at that time when I met him in 2011, had no business to stand and take some moments with me and tell me, you know, keep going, just keep going. Just don't, don't stop. You're doing okay, you're doing it. You're writing and you're doing it. And I just remember being blown away. Like, I mean, this was at the, I forgot what they used to call it, the World Horror Con they used to call it, but it was still the Bram Stoker Awards. And it was right after, right after he won an award and he's over here <laughs> chatting with me. I'm like, I had no writing, major writing credits. And I'm just like, wow, that was that. I remember that. And I remember how he made me feel in that moment. And I, I believe that what we will remember most about people is how they made us feel. You know, of course, what they did, and but there's something to. I will remember how you made me feel, and I think that's so. I want to be remembered as the person that someone I made them feel good. <laughs> you know, I don't want them to be like, "See, it was all me." <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never. I don't get that. I don't get how people function that way or kind of move through the world that way. It's, it's sad, and you know, we're creators. And I don't see a hierarchy. I see we're all like we're all artists in my eyes. We're artists. We're creating, and that is that's magic. Who can do that? Who can sit there and be like, I'm going to take this blank page and I'm going to create a universe on it? That's that we're magicians, people. We're, we're very. It's very. It's a very special skill that we have, and I think we have to be confident and acknowledge that it's pretty cool what we do. Yeah, I agree. Um... Peter did have that. That's he he grew really up. He's one of my favorite writers and he grew quickly in my heart because of that, because of the way he made you feel. And he just for some reason, globally, on a general reader point of view, I don't think is as talked about as much. She is amongst our our, you know, our writer groups and stuff, but it's very odd how he's not, how his movies aren't adapted like Stephen King's. That part I don't get. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I know what you mean. There are a lot, there are, I mean, at that point it's all business. It's all like, 
because Hollywood is a whole different, that's a whole different world than publishing. We think, we think navigating the world of publishing is complicated. Film and television is a whole other, it's very different. And so um, there's so many creators out there that were just like, I mean, we've, and we've been talking about it forever. Like we need more representation, um, not just in horror, but like in multiple avenues. But it's the same thing as keep getting made over and over again. So um, I, I would love to see a wider range of horror adapted. Mm. It, it, it has to. Like we have, there's so many um, streaming services and we see the numbers. We see who goes to the box office. We see young people and people of color. And, um, you know, we, it's a range of people. Um, and horror is doing, this is all I, I, I was interviewed recently for the Chicago Tribune. And I said, we are in a horror renaissance right now. If you, this is, this is it. We're, we're living it right now. And it's a pretty exciting time. And if you're a horror writer, there's so many places that are publishing exciting work. And I think the indies, we could talk about Twitter too. We could, the, the indies are, uh, it's an amazing place. And there, there's a lot of experimentation there. And the diversity in the indies is like amazing. There's no, look at in this book right here. This book right here is everywhere. Erica T. Worth. The sweet little words. I, I I feel like I have this really good like spidey sense about Erica Worth in this novel. This is this it's everywhere. And um it's uh we need we need more diverse voices and diversity within horror because we're seeing some really great stories being explored and yeah. it's exciting it's really it's really exciting what we're seeing a lot of cool stuff in horror like i can't keep up i'm gonna read everything <laughs> yeah it you really i mean it's impossible if you did this full time there's no way you could keep up with even half the amount yeah. of people and I'm, and I'm gonna and i'll say also like you know not just young people i am gonna definitely continue um, you know brian Keane has talked about this and i've talked about this we cannot forget our the older horror writers mm. you know you have people like ron ron kelly it's like he's still creating work and um you know it, it's been discussed like in film and television you know older actors well what about older writers like we need to like also recognize them and i've seen so many people like on twitter be like i'm 25 and i haven't published a novel yet is my life over i'm like <laughs> <laughs> what what sit down young young person let's talk okay <laughs> I'm going on my 10th year in writing and I'm okay that I haven't published anything beyond short stories. You know why? Because, and I've noticed it with a lot of other people that have made it big that you need a little life experience and you get it. Like, who is it? Uh, Dean Koontz. When we had Kevin J Anderson on um, last episode, his mentor was Dean Koontz. And Dean Koontz said that the first million words you write is the practice words. If you get paid for your practice words, that's great. <laughs> Dean Koontz, yeah. Um, and I thought that was really smart. I have not heard that quote up until Kevin told us that. And um, it makes sense. I I think, what is that? Like uh, full novels. That would be 10 novels, give or take. Around so. there. I mean that to me that makes sense, and I'm actually curious what Cena and then Rhonda and Brennan what you guys think about that. 
Brennan, you go first. I'm like, Brennan, oh, I meant Brennan, Brennan go first. I, I mean, all right. I, I think it's, uh, I think it's definitely <laughs> whether you can put a number on it or not. And Hey, if there was somebody who could put a number on it, Dean Koontz is not a bad guy to ask. Um, I think that there is value in the experience of not necessarily writing, knowing that you're not going to publish something, but being able to kind of put things aside. You know, I, I say all the time, I mean, one of, uh, you know, the, the first thing I wrote was Slattery Falls and the second, third and fourth was uh, like a hundred and 70 something thousand word novel that you and I wrote together. And I learned (laughs) so much from that. And, you know, I learned so much that allowed me to go on to other projects and write things and, you know, not avoid mistakes, but at least make less mistakes and know how to fix those mistakes a little quicker uh, from writing just this, these copious words that mix like a multitude of genres. I think there's a lot of value in writing and writing and writing and writing and not necessarily just trying to, you know, shoot the first thing that, that comes, you know, out of your computer into the world. Rhonda. I totally agree with that. Um, Yeah, I I don't know that there's a certain number uh, that I would put on it, I guess, just because the idea of writing like 10 novels just kind of makes my stomach hurt. But I mean, (laughs) it's a lot. Not that I wouldn't try at some point, but that's a lot. Um, But but like Brennan said, though, it's that practice makes perfect. I mean, to be very cliche, like you can't just expect to just plunk out some words that are going to be perfect and sparkly and glittery and 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 not have actually not practiced those words. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people practice in their heads. Um, I, I tend to be a head drafter. Uh, like I will sit with a story for years before it actually makes it like onto the computer or onto the paper. Um, but even in doing that, I'm still playing with the words in my head. I'm still practicing them. Uh, and so, like I tell my students, you can't expect to get good at anything if you're not willing to put in the time and, and be willing to learn and always improve. Like you just won't. It just won't happen. Hmm. I like the I like the idea of, I mean, we, we have to, it's okay to just write. It's okay just to enjoy the process of writing. Um and it's okay to it's okay to finish something that you're really confident in and let it sit. We have we live in this um, instant gratification moments where we need everything recognized, um, and so it's it, like it's okay to let the manuscript sit there for a little bit before you start submitting it or searching for an agent. I mean, you can move on to the next project. Um, it's. And you, you might at least Children of Chicago was. It's funny. It was actually three different books. Like I had written like three different books. And they were all kind of different, but then there were elements of them that I eventually then tied all together. Um, and so I, I have multiple books that I've just written that just have never seen the light of day. Maybe because they're just they're not, they're not fully fleshed out. But there's a lot of good ideas there that I can come back to. Um, hmm. I saw Haley Piper said in an interview uh, for um, Trans Awareness Week, and uh, the HWA was hosting mm-hmm. it. And one of one of her, one of the things she had said was, uh, I think they asked was it some writing advice, 
And one thing she says is like, write all your ideas down, right? Because you never know. She's like, no matter how ridiculous it is, write your all. I was like, that's so good. Like, it happens to me all the time. I have a great idea. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to write that. But I'm like, just write it down. You never know. It's a really great, get it, put it all in your notes app. And then, um, yeah, even your note, we have our notes app. We have all different types of devices. You can like jot down like little vignettes here and there. It doesn't have to be a fully fleshed out piece, but just keep writing, you know, um, you read a lot, write a lot. And then reading different things, you start and seeing what you it's good to read huh? i personally think it's good to read things you're not crazy about because then you read it and you're like yeah i don't want to do that i don't like <laughs> it's okay. and it's okay it's okay like i've read books maybe i haven't read the whole book but i've read like parts of books and i'm like that might have been popular and i'm like i don't get it i just don't vibe with the story or the pace but it's nice to know like yeah i wouldn't do something like this and i see how popular it is with the audience, but even though it's popular, I'm not going to replicate that because that's just not true to who I am. Mm -hmm. You have to be true to who you are as an author. You have to. Sure. If you're writing something that makes you miserable. Guess what? You're not putting you're not putting the right energy into the work. You have to put yourself into the work. That's what when people come to Rhonda's work, they want Rhonda's work. They want her. They don't want some, you know, someone else. You know, when people come to Brennan's work, they want, they're looking for Brennan. And so I think we have to remind ourselves that in an age where we're comparing ourselves to everybody. <laughs> it's okay to just be ourselves and write what you like. I heard from this writer that his friend wrote to basically, I think it was his agent that wanted him to try to write this at the time popular fantasy and he did it. Didn't love doing it. And he did a good job. So good of a job that he got a few more offers for two or three more contracts. And, and he got a lot of money for it. But guess what? He hated it. Hated it. Hated writing them. And I'm not even sure he ended up finishing them. That part I can't remember. But it does, that's not really the point. The point is, is the money's good and all, but like if you're not enjoying it at all, like that's kind of what you get a question because time you don't get back. Yeah, Rhonda, uh, I'd like to hear you take us in a new direction. Um, I'm curious to see how, um, I mean, Cena, you're an academic um, also. Uh, how does your academic work inform your writing? Like, um, so my forever in progress doctorate deals with, uh, it's in business psychology. Mm -hmm. um, so I, my focus is understanding how people and people work within systems. So it's a lot of like, so it's psychology. So doctorate in psychology. Mm -hmm. um, so I do gravitate more towards psychological horror and our motivations for why we do things and i like i've been liking i've been enjoying exploring like this gray space where good people do bad things sometimes or people will do things under certain conditions and they probably wouldn't have done those things before so i've been exploring that a lot um i did explore true crime quite a bit uh, with like into the forest and all the way through and then crime scene. 
I think exploring true crime was a little too difficult for me. I think it was too painful for me. And so I backed away from it. Um, Children of Chicago was exploring youth and inner city crime and like our, um, you know, the conversation with law enforcement that we have and people in positions of power and how they take advantage of certain situations. And so, um, which was a very difficult novel for, for many reasons. Um, so I've, I've explored some things that are, have been painful to explore. Uh, although recently my, my upcoming works are a completely different approach and I am exploring love. No. I'm okay. Not, yeah. I love I'm, it. Yeah, so I've gotten very, uh, I've gotten sentimental with age. Exploring <laughs> what people would do for love and human connection. That's been my, that's where I'm very, that's where I pivoted everybody. I don't know what happened. I was all angry and mean. And now it's like, I want to talk about love. And <laughs> but yeah, that's a, uh, uh, I, I, I can't say much. But a funeral at Clark Street Bridge is a love horror story. It's a got more the gothic novel. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, of course, that's you know that's where my thoughts are going, right? I mean, because uh, romance and horror are actually gothic siblings, um, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of times people forget that. Uh, but romance and horror both sprung from the gothic writing, and so yeah, it kind of makes sense that we would we would walk those lines between the book because I was like, I'm excited to see what that's all about. <laughs> I want to explore. I mean, I think I want to explore that more, like. Um, especially because I've seen people yearning for human connection. Like we are so connected digitally, but then we're, we're so lonely, right? I feel like so many people are really lonely. And so there's this anger and this loneliness and this disconnect from one another. And I want to be able to explore things that are gentle and kind and but with heart, <laughs> with, you know, what would you do? in order to have that, what would you do in order to keep that? Um, That's where where I've been, that's where my brain has been lately. And I don't know, I don't know, um, The Shoemaker's Magician uh, that's out from Polis, uh, they're gonna push back the launch date from March, I'm sorry, from February to March, and that one is um, a mother's love. What would a mother do? What, What are the lengths a mother would go to for her? child and um, I do uh, my dissertation is on uh, deals with um, people on the autism spectrum and I wrote my first ever uh, character on the autism spectrum and the shoemaker's magician and so I am very nervous how it's going to be received um, you know because I do I wanted to be as respectful as possible to this group and I, I wrote I modeled a character after my son a nine-year-old so we'll see I know it's it's tricky it's touchy and it's tricky to to, to write about, um, you know, uh, a disabled group. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see what people think. I'm sure it's brilliant because you are. <laughs> I, I, I approached it from love. I approached the character from love. I, I, I modeled him after as much after my son as I could. Uh, uh, so- I would anticipate some idiots saying something, but fuck them because like you're, they don't know you. 
if people actually knew you, you know, then they know people that know you won't attack you because they know your heart. That's my opinion. Someone that cares about you, that that's because you're I don't I don't want you getting upset over it because it's a touchy subject. And I, I would like to see all, you know, on that note, I don't, I would also like to see more disabled characters in horror. I don't, like to see, yeah. I don't see many disabled characters in horror. I would really like to see that explored more. Brennan, tell, tell me to cut this if you want, but I asked Brennan about Slattery Falls and I won't name it, but there is that in Slattery Falls and it's not super noticeable. Brennan, again, tell me to cut this if you want. I'm not going to name No, you're it. fine. That book's been out a while and we've talked about this subject before on the show, so. Okay. I don't remember, dude. We've talked. This is like over 300 running hours now, so I don't remember yeah. most stuff I say the next day, you know, but I asked him about that and Brennan, take over because <laughs> it's your character. I want to hear what 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 I'm allowed to say now. I want to hear it coming out of your mouth. <laughs> oh, no, you, you lead because you clearly have something in mind and you just threw it to me with like open arms. So. Throw a bone. Go All right. Ahead, He's please. got an autistic character in Slattery Falls and very few people he told me picked up on it. And I think that's interesting. I, I think that's the kind of story where he, if you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't. And he doesn't come out and say it. But I didn't know it was autism at first, but I thought there was something ta- like Tadaskew of one of his characters. Um it's nice seeing that we talked about that with a few people and you bring it up too. And I think that is important. Yeah. I love, I love that nobody, that people don't really pick up on it because I mean, this is kind of what we're moving towards with true inclusivity is that when we can actually look at characters from varying viewpoints and just see them as characters. Like, I really love that. Like, I know Slattery Falls is here in one of these stacks over here. (laughs) And now I'm like even more excited to like bump it up the stack like like I'm doing crime scene because I love that that this is almost imperceptible. Uh, I mean, I think that I'm really, really excited about this because I'm going, oh my gosh, because if the character just blends in, then that means that the character was in their natural surroundings. And that means that Brennan, as the creator, did this very realistic world where this is where this character lives. And and I just totally dig it. I love it so much. (laughs) Uh, One one that always jumps out at me is uh, Ron Kelly, we mentioned earlier, um, was he read the book before it came out, you know, supplied me with my very first blurb on anything ever. And it was a doozy, um, very generous with his time. Like we, we, we can never say enough good things about Ron on the show. Um, but he had texted me about halfway through it and said, you know, I'm seeing a lot of my son in this character, you know? And like I said, like Patrick said, it's never explicitly stated, but if, if, if you know, you know, and, you know, people who have someone that they love who is autistic um, pick up on it right away. And, you know, I've certainly had readers who may just kind of notice, some, you know, I see that in my cousin, I see that in my brother, I see that in my son. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of what I wanted to go for with that is the whole notion of like, I'm not rubbing it in your face. I'm not trying to be like, look at me. I'm, you know, I included this person, but it's just, it's him. And the way that 
he is and the way that he kind of views the world and approaches his interests and his hobbies kind of ends up informing a lot of the story. So uh, thank you for, you know, that plug, Patrick, but uh, we, we can absolutely take it back to Cena now. <laughs> Ron Kelly, I took my, Ron Kelly was here a couple weeks. Yeah, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. I took my sons to meet him. And I, wanted, I wanted my sons to meet him. And so, uh, and Ron's wife was there. She looks, she, she looks at my oldest and she's just like, and she looks over at Ron. She's like, he's just like our son. Cause um, I was like, Oh yeah. So she was able to, you know, just within that little, when, as soon as we met, just in that little moment, you know, she knew she was just like, Oh, Ron, he's just like our boy. So. That's cool. Yeah. What was that? What was that like? Did you meet the guys at, uh, Oh my god, my brain farted. Uh Stygian Scott Media. I mean, yeah, Jeremy and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. It was nice. It was I mean, I I couldn't I couldn't chat too long that you know, a five year old and a nine year old yeah. in different directions. Yeah. Nice. Um I got a couple of Ron's books here. Wait, I have wait. I have like I have stacks because I'm <laughs>
take them to school. I mean, in a dream world, you know, writing would pay me enough that I could stay home, just, you know, focus on writing books. And um, I would love that. I would love if I could just create all day. I would love if I could just like roll out of the bed and I am working for myself. Again, that's what you're you're doing. You're, you're your own boss. And that is like the dream and the goal is to be one, to be able to sustain oneself with their own creative vision. And that is definitely my dream. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm completely grateful and thankful uh, that Amazon publishing, um, I'll be, my next two novels will be, well, next two are coming out with Polis and then 2024 onward. Like the next two are with Amazon publishing and uh, Thomas and Mercer. So I'm really excited to be working with them because it's, yeah, that's such, great. it's such a great group of people. And um, I'm just so impressed by them. And uh, I would love to keep working with them and just kind of, um, I mean, they're with, I am, my editor is Dean Kuntz's editor. Like what dream world is that? That's like, <laughs> whoa, I didn't know that. And that's you not why that? I brought him up. Yeah, yeah, Holy yeah. shit. That's. I, I am like, I can't process it. It makes no sense to me. How does it this. Do, it does to us. Get, just get over yourself. You're what amazing. <laughs> yeah, my, my editor is Dean Kuntz's editor. And I'm like, holy shit. He can learn something from you. <laughs> I hope he hasn't listened to this ever. <laughs> You know, I have, and I have uh, Jess Lowry, who is a, I, she's a mystery thriller writer. Mm. All things Jess Lowry. She's uh, with um, my editor as well. And so I I am still processing it, (laughs) you know, Um, and, you know, the indies, the indies have been great to me. I um, hope to have more you know poetry work coming out with the indies um things get a little complicated when you get a, when you get a larger press because things have to kind of get reviewed but if i you know if i can um continue to make you know publish poetry with the indies i would love to continue doing that because it's the indies I, i'm here because of the indies i have a readership because of the indies I have friends. I have a family because of the Indies. I mean, you know, I look at, you know, I think of, you know, Gabino and B and Rhonda and Gemma and Laurel. It's like all these people. It's like, we, you know, like Haley, we, we all kind of, I feel like we were like a cohort. Like we all were kind of like in our own writing cohort that we created. And yeah, definitely <laughs> kind of come up together. It's so, it's so incredible. It's just this weird timing. And, you know, it's uh, it's nice to see like newer writers, you know, doing work like, you know, Brennan, uh, you know, Brennan, Brennan's not even newer. Brennan's been around now, and you know, Rain King too. He's like he's got, I think he's working on the second one. I mean, Janine's done. Janine is continue constantly creating work, and so it's um, it's just a really it was a really good group of people in the indies that are just like killing it with work. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> Brennan. That's my magic wish. <laughs> Brennan, Brennan, jump in, man. Uh, uh, 
you know, I'm going to take us in a new direction. I almost just asked you what I should do, but you're not the boss of me. So, um, <laughs> oh, someone's getting sassy. <laughs> Fuck you up, dude. Uh, <laughs> one one thing that came up uh, a few times already was the idea of monsters. You know, you making your own monsters, uh, the role of monsters, who is the monster. So I'm curious and, you know, kind of fill this in any way you like with your background, with your experience in horror, where you grew up, where you live now. What informs your idea of what a monster is? People. <laughs> Question. <laughs> People. I mean, um, ooh, uh, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I watched a lot of creature features growing up. Watched a lot of, um, watched a lot of creature features. I watched a lot of supernatural and paranormal horror. Um, but I, yeah, I grew up in inner city Chicago. I still live in the same neighborhood I grew up in. My neighbor is very different than when I grew up here. The neighborhood's changed, but and I grew up with. I've seen it all. I've had friends uh, die from gang, gang and gun violence. Um, I mean, I've seen a lot of good people hurt um, just for existing, and so I think uh, I think that informs when I create a monster. Um, I think of that tragedy. I think of that potential. And how they are just, they just don't care. Like a real monster just does not care. There is no empathy. They do not care. They do not look at the, at us, at human, at other, at other humans as something with feelings. They don't care. And they are completely okay with obliterating our existence. It's terrifying. Um, whether that is another human monster or whether that is a you know a creature, a supernatural being, or paranormal being, but a true monster to me is something that is relentless and does not. This this comes to mind all of a sudden. <laughs> yep, the, the, the lipstick color. Uh, you know, and I, I said I, I, I did you know a lot of work in true crime and exploring crime and, and I still feel like I am a genre blending author I take different genres and I just throw them together and I see what happens I'm just like, oh. <laughs> but, um, but I, I, I feel like my base is always going to be horror then followed by crime and mystery um, but uh, yeah, you know, exploring true crime and what other human beings do to other human beings for a variety of reasons. It's, it's, it's monstrous. It's terrifying. Mm. No, I think that's a good segue into uh, poetry. Now, when you work on a collection um, like Into the Forest and all the way through or even Crime Scene, do you find that writing poetry, is it therapeutic? Is it emotionally devastating? Is it just this awkward? Basically, do you feel like you have to write it? Or, I don't know, how does it affect you? So this is going to sound like I'm an unwell person. But I, when, I, when I write poetry, I get in a very um, hypnotic state, I want to say. It's very, it's, I, it's a very different, I know when I'm in that mental state 
And so the, the way I've described it is um, writing novels is math. It's logic, it's reason, and, you know, making sure everything adds up. And uh, writing poetry is like music. I have to feel it. And so when I write a poetry collection, I ha I get in this weird hip sorry if I'm getting these types of words. But I get I I purposefully get in this hypnotic state. I will consume as much of the theme or the idea and I will write it in this like manic marathon. Um and so into the forest was I made myself very unwell because what I would do, I would take one case and I would read every single article, watch every single newsreel, watch every, you know, every video on YouTube that I can find. I would become so overwhelmed with the tragedy of that case until I was obsessed with it and I couldn't think about anything else. And then I would write, um, crime scene. I read, um, the epic, I went and I read the Iliad and the Odyssey and these epic poems and started researching epic poetry and its history. And I just became in the state where I was, that's all I could think about. And so I get into the state where it's all I can think about. And then I sit and I just write it. That makes sense. But it's a very, I know it's a very different, I know when I'm in my poet brain versus my fiction writer brain. It's a very different brain. And uh, Jer knows, my partner's like kind of like, he'll know when I'm writing poetry. He's like, oh, you're writing poetry. <laughs> I'll see you later. <laughs> you're, 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 it's different. He knows it's a different, like I'll start pacing and it, it becomes very, I don't know, it's almost like this meditation or this ritual that I kind of get in. Peter Straub to me is like the most poetic writer in novels. In novel form, he's very poetic with his words. Um, that's really it. There's nothing else I have to say about it. But we talked about Peter Straub earlier, and just wanted to throw that out there. He's also a poet, for those that don't know. Yeah. Um, so uh, another thing I wanted to throw out, kind of, and it ties in with you, you know, getting just in this headspace where you're just basically, you know, you've immersed yourself in what the subject matter is going to be, and then you're just creating um you wrote an essay for uh writing poetry in the dark called this is not a poem where you talked a lot about free form and um you know i would highly recommend that people pick up that book and read it because you talk a lot of you, you have a lot of interesting things to say about why free form but the the you know what kind of appeals to me is that idea of if you are going to write poetry you don't have to necessarily adhere to this certain form um, that, you know, that you can just kind of take those emotions, those feelings that, you, you know, from your experience, you've immersed yourself in and for lack of better words, create. So I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about free form, whether or not you're touching on those same things or whatever you want to say. Yeah, that um, this is not a poem. So that poem was um, that, poem, that essay dealt with poetry as um, how writing poetry and or poetry for social change. Um, and so um, I, I looked at Langston Hughes and I looked at uh, uh, several poets 
And I looked at what they were saying, the way they were saying it. Um, and I even talked about like protest signage. And mm. I, I made this equation where even protest signs are, are poetry because you get into this emotional state and you just want this clear, crisp message communicated to the world. And I, and I was, then I was looking at the different formulas of poetry and how they can be so just structured and then it's stuffy. And that's what I, that used, that was the common, that's the, I noticed that's the commentary with my poetry very frequently, like, oh, your poetry was approachable. I understood what you were saying. And I think um, I'm, I'm grateful that people felt that way because I felt like at least for my poetry, at least with Into the Forest or Crime Scene, I had certain messages that I was trying to convey and I'm happy that people were able to walk away with those messages, which were, um, you know, Into the Forest was about missing and murdered women, particularly missing and murdered women of color in the U.S. and why aren't we making this a bigger issue? Um, crime scene, it is the devastation that crime just continues to happen. And it's like this avalanche of awful things. Um, and I felt like we shouldn't put so many rules on create. That's not create, right? We, there should be flexibility. We should, um, <laughs> and I, I, I take issue critiques, many critiques, and I, I have a uh, Master's of Fine Arts from the Unwriting from the School of the Art Institute mm -hmm. of Chicago, and my my graduate advisor um, it was Jesse Ball, and his process of critique was the asking method, and that's what I implement in my um, mentoring. I ask you, the author, what your goal is. I don't understand why why consuming art has become this is wrong because of the X or this is this. I, I didn't like, okay, fine. You didn't like it, but whatever. I don't think it bothers me when someone says the artist is wrong. The artist is never wrong. You know what you're mm -hmm. trying to accomplish. Like the other person doesn't know what you're trying to accomplish. That makes no sense to me. If you didn't, if you don't have to engage and enjoy every single piece of art and that's fine. But to say the artist is wrong is an abomination. <laughs> the artist is never wrong. The artist knows what they're doing. If it's very presumptuous. If you didn't, if it didn't come across for you, that's fine. And that's why when I thought of poetry, I like free form poetry because it breaks all the rules. You can go and explore how you want and how you feel. Um, and then with that, within that context of exploring poetry as for social change, I thought that was a great medium for like exploring these very intense issues that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. I, I also would throw out, you know, if anybody is considering that book, cause it is a great book. It's full of like just wonderful essays and I'm, I'm only about a quarter of the way through it, but I'm just, I'm learning so much. I'm, it, it's it's a it's a topic. Speculative poetry is 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 a topic I'm constantly trying to better my understanding of, and this is this is a great book for it. But I love the fact that you took that Langston Hughes poem, which is you know that's something that I I think every high schooler reads that, and you kind of say, okay, now let me tell you how this could be speculative poetry. Let me tell you how this could be horror poetry, and you're convincing. <laughs> um, I bought it. <laughs> 
that raisin in the sun and how it shrivels and it's you know and oh, that that poem it's just so it y'all keep talking because I need to pull it up because it is um just the weight of it I don't think you know in high school you read it and you just kind of remember I remember in high school one of my actually uh one of this is what one of the reasons I love poetry I had this amazing um teacher in high school and every week we would have to memorize a poem walk to the front of the class and recite it from memory and um that's that made me kind of appreciate poetry and um, the delivery of poetry. And I think it's important also, I don't know if I mentioned this in the uh, essay, I think it's important to read your poetry out loud. So uh, Harlem or what we call a, a dream deferred, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? And it's that ending where it's every single time I read it, it's like this gut punch that, and you feel it in your solar port, port your solar, um, you feel it here, you feel it in your stomach and it's just, you know what he's talking about. You know that he's talking about the pain of a people and this idea, and I, in that essay I talked about, I, I tried to um, correlate it to speculative poetry and how it is, it's horror. He's talking about something that's very horrible. Um, the wants, the, you know, um, we're talking earlier, I hope I mentioned this, but it's something as simple, we, you know, people just want to have the right to exist and to love and to be happy and there's always these other people that are trying to prevent people from just being happy. And that's hard. That's, there's mm -hmm. real monsters out there that are just trying to keep people from existing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that yeah. really, um, uh, really lends into what Tanana Reeve said um, in an interview somewhere that I read where she says she's pretty known for saying that Black history is Black horror. Uh, and so that that's what I really think about. Um, because when I was introduced to these poems, I mean, of course, as you know, looking at them through the lens of the Black experience or my own experiences, you know, as a Black woman, both like, of course, and as a horror fan, I'm like, yeah, well, of course that, yeah, that's horror. Of course it's horror. <laughs> I, I, I'm always willing to argue that point, like to the end of time. Um, so it's always exciting to, to see when, um, when other other artists are like, I get it. I get that. And, and understanding that things like this, that these do fit very well into that whole um, horror arena. Most definitely. Um, it's the experience of Black America is completely, you look at it and it's even to, you know, it, throughout history today, it's constant push on people that just want to exist and they just want to love and they just want to be happy and it's other systems and other people that just continue to push against that and it's that's hard that's hard when you're trying to like prevent somebody from just existing and it's like i think that's yeah that's and that's something that uh i think that I'm happy that it's being explored so much 
and par today. And I hope that it continues being explored and, is, and not just within the indie community, but like larger platforms. And I think, you know, that's still the, that's still the push. Like we need these stories discussed and there's just so much like, you know, I, you know, I think of like, I write a lot about Chicago and I, you know, I think about, there's like multiple instances of like, I mean, there was a quote from Martin Luther King when he marched in Chicago and he was just like, the specific neighborhood that he was in, in Chicago, he was like, they were the meanest in this part of Chicago that to me than they were in the South at some point. And I was like, that's how, and that, and this is a, Chicago is one of the most segregated cities and for many reasons. And, you know, there's displacement and there's disinvestment in communities and these things ripple across time and generations. And these are horror stories that need to be told. Mm -hmm. And I think that ties in with what we were talking about initially with the idea of freeform. These are stories that need to be told. And the idea that poetry is supposed to meet certain guidelines, that there's supposed to be this many couplets, this many, you know, syllables per line, whatever. I mean, I, I hate, I absolutely hate the word gatekeeping because I think it's so overused and misused. But to a degree, it's there. The idea that, you know, the the almost elitism that poetry is supposed to be this, it's supposed to be that. But no, I mean, what it is at its base is it's supposed to be, um, you know, you mentioned the protest signs. It's emotion boiled down to uh, kind of this common base, this, this, um, the, the, simplest way you can put it to evoke the most emotions and that's you know like i i, I loved the comparison to protest signs because i think that's what it is let's see if we can conjure an emotion let's see if i can put what i feel in my heart into words and then pare it down so that i can communicate it to another human and there is no fucking couplet for that there is no rhyme scheme for that there is no correct way to write your feelings for that and if you want, if you want to feel poetry, I mean, just just Google Amanda Gorman, and mm. she has, you know, she performs some of her poetry on YouTube, and it's just you feel what these, you feel what she's saying, and I think that's so. It's just poetry and emotion are just so, and that's that's why I love writing poetry because you can just condense the essence of what you're trying to communicate across a long novel into these you know, tiny little sentences that are just so crisp and so clear and people will walk away with an emotional, physiological response just to the few little, you know, that Langston Hughes poem, just in those few lines, he communicated so much and we all felt that. So it's poetry, is, it's, it's powerful, it's absolutely powerful. Um, I, it's it's an honor to be able to write and publish poetry and to work with like people like you know um, Stephanie Wojtovich, who was you know an amazing editor. Um, you know, Sarah Tatlinger is another great poet, uh, speculative poet. You know, John Lawson is another poet that you know I, you know people people forget. Yeah, he's he writes short stories and you know other things, and he was our a Carl Writers Association president now, but he's a poet as well. So. Very cool stuff. Um, 
Brennan, I think now's the time for the uh what was that? <laughs> okay. That's Cena's roof caving in. That means we're done. <laughs> uh, I hope not. I like her. Um <laughs> for the outro portion. Uh yeah. currently reading. Cena, what are you currently reading? What am I currently reading? I haven't Books. started yeah, but I was gonna read. I was gonna start Jess Laurie's book, Unspeakable Things. So it is. It's got a new cover. Yeah, inspired by a terrifying true story, a heart-pounding novel of suspense about a small Minnesota town where nothing is as quiet or as safe as it seems. And so she writes. She likes. What is it? I like that. Um, I saw her at the Midwest uh, Writers Myth Conference. And she said something, oh gosh, what was it? Someone, I think someone, I forgot what the question was, but she said something to the effect of all writers should have a theme. And she said, my theme is secrets. I write about secrets. I thought that was so cool. And so I've, I've been interested in, um, we share the same editor um, at Amazon Publishing. And so I just, I thought that was such a cool idea. I write about secrets. and so. Hmm. I've been trying to think about like what's my writer theme, and I'm like, why well, write about Chicago? <laughs> I always write about Chicago and like um, and history and how history continues to repeat itself. So I don't know. I'm trying to boil that down, but think about that. You had a writer theme. What would your writer theme be? Folklore. That's yours. Honda, what would yours be? I mean, like I've read quite a bit of your work and a lot of folklores, and it's really cool how you interweave it especially love how in children of chicago you're talking about um lewis carroll at one point and you're just talking about all these people that come or are from chicago and um i don't know you kind of you and alma katsu do it really you guys do something special with it i don't know Wanda, what do you think your your writer theme is if you had a writer theme I don't know. I think I would have to say my theme was Black Girl Weird. I mean, it's <laughs> <I just, laughs> not a bad theme to have. That's a cool one. Right. Yeah. Brandon, I can't take that one. So, you know. Well, you're... <laughs> Brandon, what's your writer theme? I, you know, I was going to go with Black Girl Weird, but I now I have to kind of. I told you, we can't up. take that. <laughs> um, found Family. Is something I I consistently see popping up in my work, unbeknownst to me. So, mine's dead kids because that's my biggest nightmare. Sorry, Cena. Oh no, no, I mean, that's scary. Pet cemetery stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I I don't know. Just if 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 my kid died, this isn't anything special with other parents, but this is where horror writers' minds mm. go. That's why we write the stuff that our minds go to these crazy places. Basically, I'm like writing Pixar movies, but they're the graphic versions of it. If you had a writer theme, everyone, that's your homework. What's your writer theme? That's a good one. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I, like that. I like that. It's cool. Yeah. Um. Okay, so uh, <laughs> Rhonda, I forgot the question. What are you currently reading? Uh, well, okay, so I actually on the plane uh, ride home last night, I read Reluctant Immortal. 
uh, Ooh, by I love that one. That's a great one. Yeah, yeah. And I just handed it off to my daughter, uh, who is like the biggest nice. other second biggest reader in the house. So I, I was sure really excited that. about that. Um, I bought a couple of other books um, because, of course, you just can't plunk a writer in a bookstore and just be like, hey, talk about your books because this writer is going to go buy books. So I bought like five or six books. <laughs> <laughs> That's some serious restraint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Only five right. or six. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because I was all over the shelves and I was like, well, yeah. let me start a stack. Right. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I just finished that one and it was really good. It was like the perfect plain, like, read. Excellent. Uh, Brennan, what are you currently reading? Uh, I mentioned this one, Writing Poetry in the Dark. Uh, I'm I'm just kind of write, reading an essay a day and taking it all in. And it's such good stuff. You know, I mentioned Cena is in it. Um, it has Claire C. Holland, Jessica McHugh, Donna Lynch, Sarah Tantlinger, uh, Lisa Candoral, um, Alessandro Manzetti. That's just, it, you know, like I said, I'm only a quarter of the way through it, but it's just brimming with brilliance. Um, definitely recommend that if you want to improve your poetry writing or learn the first thing about it, like me. Um, I'm also reading, uh, Sleepwalk by Dan Sean, who we will have on in a couple of weeks. Um, it's cool. It's definitely, um, I don't know that I, I know I wouldn't put it in horror, which is very atypical for this show, but um, it has this kind of like bleakness of humanity that you'd find in Chuck Palahniuk's work mixed with this, like almost kind of blanketed with this, uh, absurdity that you'd find in kurt vonnegut so i mean it's those those are two authors i love so it's I, i'm digging it you're supposed to ask me Bren. i don't care okay you're being a smart all right uh, patrick what are smart you smart <laughs> <laughs> i'm reading up jump the devil the real life of robert johnson it's uh it's a non-fiction book about um a super well-known blues musician but it's uh really um well researched and factual it's like the go-to biography on robert johnson if you have interest in knowing who he is or a guy lived a weird life he had a lot of bad shit happen to him so i'll just leave it at that it's really interesting things for people's time um seeing a where can people follow you they can follow me on twitter Sina uh, Palayo. I am also on Instagram, Sina Palayo author. I'm on TikTok. I don't want to do stuff. Sina <laughs> Palayo author on there. And then my website, I will update it one day. It's sinapalayo.com. But uh, yeah, I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> Rhonda, where can people follow you? Uh, yeah, I'm still on Twitter. I'm going to always haunt Twitter um, at R. Jackson Joseph. Uh, but I really do like I know y'all been hearing me say this like years and years and years, but it's really true now. I have an author website. Like, can you believe it? Can you believe it? Finally. I didn't know that. That's cool. What what is it? Yeah. RhondaJacksonJoseph.com. I did not put it together. I can take no credit for that. <laughs> Wait, you're going to leave saying who put it together? Oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I work for the promo team, Heartfelt Promos. And so Regina over there is like 
that's the most wonderful promo person. She never yells at me. And she has never, like, after all these years, I mean, I've worked with her for literal years, like 10 or 12 years or so. And she's never said to me, you better hurry up and get a site done. She just kind of waited until I finally went, you know, I think we should do this. And she was like, it is go time. And so she went. <laughs> That's awesome. Brennan, where can people follow you? Uh, well, I mean, mostly I just drive to work at schools and you don't want to follow me there because that'll land you on a list. Um, uh, Brennan LaFaro on Twitter, as long as it exists, or probably a better option is brennanlafaro.substack.com is my mailing list where emails go out. Very good. We're going down with the ship, aren't we? We're just going to stay on. We are going down. I'm going down with the ship. I think I just, I was thinking about it today. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go down with the ship. Let's go. Yeah. I just can't, I, I don't know, like Instagram. I just can't, I can't figure it out. I tried not hard, but I tried. If you want to follow me, you can follow me at P R M C D O N O U G H. That's P R McDonough. Pretty much any social media platform or the show dead underscore headspace. Um, final question. Final thoughts. Cena. Final thoughts. My roof didn't cave in. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I well, I want uh, I want Rhonda to talk quickly about her l- latest release. That's what I want. Okay. Well, yes. So yes, this collection is is kind of growing legs, y'all. I'm really surprised about that. Okay. So Cena, <laughs> there. Okay. So Patrick and Brennan are very awesome. Last week, I literally forgot that I even wrote a book. Like, I swear, I was so, I was so deep in fangirling over to Nana Do I really forgot. And I was like, oh, you kind of did do that. I forgot about it until they reminded me. So, yeah, um, it's a, a horror short story collection. Um, it It is getting some really good reviews, and I'm really excited about that. But I think I'm most excited about the fact that people who read it actually see these women. Like they see the characters and they, they, the characters resonate with them. And I mean, that's, that's all do as writers, right? We just want people to feel us, feel the people that we write about. That's I'm great. excited. That's great news. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Rhonda, any final thoughts? <laughs> Uh, I think I'm going to do a twofer. I think that was my final thought. It's really exciting to to talk to Cena and hear about um, what's coming up next. So, I mean, I'm just really over here just clapping. Go on, girl. Go on, girl. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's get a recap of what's coming up next and what has come out, because I don't think we've done that yet. Uh, crime Scene is out from Raw Dog Screaming Press that came out in October. Uh, crime Scene, that's a narrative totem verse. Oh my gosh, I love you people. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, January from Polis Loteria is out. It's a reprint of my 2010 Latin American folklore short story collection that is out uh, January. In March, The Shoemaker's Magician is out from Polis Books. That is the second book in the Chicago saga, which is not a sequel, but it's another story in the universe, and it's about fables. And then in spring of 2024, Funeral at Clark Street Bridge, my Chicago Gothic horror romance comes out. And it's the story I've been wanting to tell for very, very, very long. It's 
a fairy. It's a, and it's an adaptation of the little mermaid. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Love it. I can't wait for that. Um, Brennan, final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. I think that this episode referenced Dean Koontz the second most amount of times <laughs> of any episode after Josh Mallerman threatening to drive to his house and make sure he was okay because we hadn't heard from him in a while. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, I feel like that's notable. So uh, people should buy Crime Scene. People should buy Children of Chicago before The Shoemaker's Magician comes out. I don't know if people can still buy We Came From an Island, but if they can, they should. Because um, that was a really excellent collection, and we had so much to talk about, we didn't even mention it. But uh, fabulous stuff. And, uh, yeah, of course, you know, you know we, you've, it's funny that it's been so long coming for you to have a solo episode, because you've been on like 27 times at this point um, for different panels and this <laughs> and that and the other Am thing. On the most, I feel like I've probably been on the most. I'm always like, hey, but- I think you and Ron Kelly are duking out, but um, yeah, it's it's you're up there, you're absolutely up there. Um, you you've been on a lot of panels, you came on to do a reading at some point. Um, so yeah, you're you, you're like you you and Ron Kelly are like you know, Steve Martin, John Goodman hosting <laughs> Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Now we need a we need a we, we, we need a tag team, Ron and I, on, a, on an episode. Oh, that'd be sweet. Yeah. Tell us who you want to talk to. Not now. Sorry. That was set up like. <laughs> we'll wait. <laughs> Come on. I got a bedtime. All right. So my final thoughts are, Sina, I'm very happy that we finally did this. We all very much love you. And it's just, I mean, we clearly love your work. And I said it when I first read Children of Chicago. Of any author I've read, your work is similar to Thomas Harris. Um, in the regard of just like being so lean, being so cut, coming from a journalistic background. And I only say that in the highest regards, but you're obviously you got your own style. Um, but that's just to say that's uh, that's this one reader's opinion. And I think that you are someone that whoever's listening to this hasn't read you yet should. Um, all the books that Brennan said or others he didn't mention. Um, I think he covered them all though. I don't know, maybe he didn't. Yeah, that's uh thank you, Rhonda, for coming on here. Um, we love talking to you too. And I love the fact that this book is getting, I'm gonna beat Brent into it, that this book right here is getting so much attention. Yes. And I hope it continues. Do we mention do we mention the name, the title? Hell hath no sorrow like a woman. I don't think we said it. Like a woman haunted. Sorry. Yeah, I don't think so. No. Senator so RJ Joseph. Tanana Reeve do may even read it because of that. So I hope she does. Yeah, I would just die, really. <laughs> you hear that, Patrick? You killed her. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. Ron is nice. <laughs> All right, fuck you, brother. You've been a dick this episode. Ron, I said you've been lovely. Fuck you, Brennan. <laughs> no, just kidding. That's not how I ended it. I no, it's a terrible way to end it. Yeah, no, but seriously, this has been fun. It's been real fun. I mean, we, this is what we've been doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's it. And uh, listeners, give me a choice in the podcast. Thank you for picking up. Fuck you, Brennan.